Welcome to ProductWise Podcast. This is your host, Alexandre Dinella, and my special guest today is Amber Foucault. Amber is the Chief Product Officer at Drop. With the launch of over 70 products under her belt, her specialty is turning divergent thinking into convergent action. She's using her product mindset to approach strategic solutions at Drop, with a focus on building democratized access to web-free concepts for everyday users. Amber has built products spanning countless industries, drawing expertise from each build and solving strategic problems and processes to ensure execution is always possible as the company scales. She's also a big believer that technology isn't about tech, it's about people. So she has spent her career understanding people and behaviors. Today, we're going to talk about building great teams and capitalizing on momentum, transferring product management skill set to different industries, and balancing the science and art of product management itself. Amber, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Alexandra. Nice to be here. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. So, um, Amber, you've, you've joined uh, Drop uh, as the VP of Business Operations, and then shortly after you moved into the head of product. What had motivated you to rejoin the product team? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great question and uh, probably is a little bit of a longer explanation than just uh, my love for product and, and kind of why I landed there. Um, I had been really aware of Drop and what they were doing in the marketplace for quite some time. They were pretty large in the Canadian tech ecosystem. And so I had known the CEO and I knew their chief revenue officer, him and I had spent um, 16 years together working at four different companies prior to uh, prior to me actually joining Drop. And so the 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 sort of combination of, of our CEO and our CRO were really compelling for me. And at the time, they really needed to start operationalizing a lot of their processes and starting to create scale and foundation for their products. And I knew that I could help them with that. And so a real natural entry point for me at that time was to come in and get some focus on those business operations. And once I got my feet wet there and started to build up some of those practices internally, um, I shifted my focus back towards product. And, you know, some might say that was probably always in the cards, uh, but, you know, we certainly wanted to make sure that I had a good handle on the business and, and was able to step in with the lens on both the B2B side of the product uh, landscape and the B2C side. So uh, it was a natural progression at that point in time. And I do continue to do a fair amount of operation uh, type of tasks today. And part of it is just because I'm, I'm, I think a little bit passionate about it. And the other part is because, you know, we're still uh, scrappy and having all hands on deck for those types of things kind of just helps everyone out. Wonderful. Um, and um, uh, you just noted right now, of course, the importance of setting up the processes. And also in our very first conversation, you noted the focus on, uh, you know, the focus that you have on building the robust processes to enable, uh, you know, a team to scale and to, you know, uh, produce the, the features more predictably. Um, and especially that's important in the, in a hyper growth kind of remote. Mm -hmm. Um, but you also mentioned the importance of building, you know, the right kind of a teams, the having the right talent on board. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I mean, each company is a little bit different in terms of how you think about that scale and that process and who you have available to you. 
um, and how you structure some of those teams. And, you know, I came from an agency type of background. So we were an innovation firm. Um, and for years, my intro to tech was, was through building this team that was meant to be high functioning and executing quickly as sort of the higher gun for different types of organizations. And you get used to a certain practice of process and the way that you scale a team and then build in different roles when you're thinking solely about execution. Um, and it isn't, when you say, when I say solely about execution, that doesn't mean that it comes at the expense of strategy, but rather it has to be thought of in the same breath as strategy, because you're sort of only as good as what you're able to ship and create and execute on. And so as a result, you think about those roles and teams a little different. For an example, um, you know, you may have a regular agile process running uh, when you start building bigger teams and creating different structures from design to product, to engineering, you may want to move to a dual agile process where you run your design teams out in front of your engineering teams mm. um, so that you can create a space inside of those sprints because they're figuring out more feature focused or more heavier lifted items inside of your consumer facing app or, or whether it's a B2B facing app. And that gives you a different amount of time to, to create malleable strategy, but before it hits in, in sprint for an engineering team. So I guess it really depends on what stage of growth you're at, but really understanding what levers you have to pull in between um, starts to become a very strong tool for you to be able to enact change quite quickly. Mm. And uh, so, so that's with regards to the processes. What about the importance of of building the right um, the right kind of a team internally to enable them then to execute on those processes and also be um, quite quite happy and content with with each other in a company. I mean, that has been tough for everybody. I think particularly we we went fully remote. Uh, it was a very tough talent market, and so. You know, my approach to this has been pretty consistent, um, I would say, even before the pandemic. But I really think of it as uh, Moneyball. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, the movie Moneyball. It was a book. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a story about a baseball team. And essentially, it's a baseball team that is trying to use math to be able to win the World Series. And the way that the coach, uh, Billy Bean, thought about the team was he wanted players to just get on base. He didn't need a rock star to roll up and hang a homer out into the stands. All he wanted to make sure was that he could load his bases and get one run in after another. And so I look at that and say he broke down the problem of a home run into those three separate bases and he attacked the way that he structured his team using that as a principle. And I think that that's really smart. And I look at my teams in the same way. You know, a lot of, um, there's a lot of folks out there who've been at, you know, very reputable companies, Google and Facebook and Netflix and Shopify, and they come to the tech scene with a lot of solid skills, but they're tough talent to grab, especially for smaller organizations organizations that don't have as deep of pockets. And so I think of this and say, what do I really need this team member to do? What skills do they have that I can train them on and which do they absolutely need to come with? So some of my product managers have come from internal teams and have trained them up to be PMs. Um, same thing with designers, certainly the same with, I manage also our customer support team, really making sure that I'm pulling in people 
who have potential and who can get us on base. And that is a really important part of, you know, my thinking on talent because it allows you to be a little more diversified with a candidate's background. Yeah, that's that's very true. Once you're sort of focusing on a specific background of an individual, you tend to select the same kind of individual, you know, in, in you know, same type of a talent all over again. And it doesn't necessarily give you the the depth of different viewpoints and different backgrounds, right, um, that the person might be coming from. Um, and to that, of course, you've, you've also noted that uh, diversity across your teams in terms of not just the backgrounds, but also the gender diversity. We, we already spoke, of course, that when it comes to product engineering, there is a very small percentage of the of the females who are, who are there. But I know that for your team, you've ensured that the, the diversity um, is, is followed, at least on a gender uh, on a gender level. Um, could you walk me through how you've approached uh, the, you know, the issue at hand, that is the lack of uh, lack of the females in the field, and how you, what is your take essentially to make sure that, um, you know, that is continued within drop uh, for potentially all other teams, and that is actually transferred uh, to further generations as your team grows. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a, it's, it's a big question. And I think it's the answer, you know, probably started many years ago. Uh, I got pretty involved with programs at the high school level in Toronto, where I would speak with, uh, with young women who were in STEM programs here. So science, technology, engineering, and I believe now they include art and math, so more of a STEAM program. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that I was having conversations at that level to understand what was deterring young women to enter tech. And, you know, a lot of the same consistent issues that I see in teams and women today was what existed in these young high school girls. And it was things like imposter syndrome, confidence issues, um, you know, and really uh, not believing uh, that they could do the job or that there was a place for them uh, in, in that type of work. And so um, identifying that early and spending time with, with those young women, I continued to keep that up uh, during uh, during the last 10 years of my career, uh, making sure that we did things like robotics classes for young women and we would hold events and we would make sure that we had, you know, women's uh, uh, conversations in Slack channels, in lunches, just to create space to have conversations around all of the things that they may be feeling or going through that may be different from their male counterparts. And it's not to say that male counterparts, their male counterparts don't have imposter syndrome or confidence issues. That is, it's open to both genders, but we know that it is a barrier today um, for those young women. So the first thing is definitely having that conversation. The, sec the second thing is just really basic. It's, you know, giving someone the feeling that you believe in them. And that really goes a long way. I think, especially with young women who are entering tech, uh, I've got, I've got one young woman on, on my product team who's been with me now. This is the third company she's joined alongside me. Um, another one I've worked before at a previous company. And so I do really make sure that I network strong um, and that I really look to help uh, uh, make sure that these women have opportunities uh, available to them as well. And so that's a part of the journey. And I think it really just has to be a conscious effort because um, while you can interview many candidates, um, it becomes really difficult to sort of 
make sure that that's not tokenism or, you know, a, a purposeful d diversity hire rather than the right person for the right job, because you're always walking that very fine line. Uh, but making sure that you keep a lot of strong women in your network, I think the more you advance in your career, the more important that is to reach down and really pull other women up with you. Oh, yeah, that's that's uh, incredibly important. And I'm sure the, you know, the team and the individuals that you brought together with you, uh, both male and female, very much appreciate that. Um, especially, you know, you, you seem to you seem to also be able to to attract uh, the same talent that you've worked with uh, before and sort of bring them through the journey with you. Um, and I, I, I can imagine that that supports the kind of a mentorship um, uh, you know, culture that you've created, and I know it's very important for you and for your team. Um, how do you, you know, how do you deal or how do you establish that with the new hires as well into, you know, within your team? I think it's continuing that open conversation. Um, we have, uh, we have a women at drop Slack channel. We use that to share things that are going on. We regularly meet once a month for lunch and, and kudos to our, our, um, our head of HR who has, you know, made sure that that, that, calendar invite stays top of mind for all of us. And it has an agenda and we talk about different things and it gives each woman a chance to lead that conversation, whether it is something about imposter syndrome, whether it is something, you know, just about, um, uh, finding confidence, speaking with clarity, those types of things. Um, you know, I think, I think the topic of our next one is about language and how important language is and really making sure that we're aware of what language we're using when we are speaking in a room. And so, uh, you know, I think it's just about creating the culture, having the space and also, you know, no matter what level you're at, kind of the vulnerability. I think that's an important part of it is that no, none of us have it figured out or no more than the other. We've just had more practice at it uh, than some of the others. And so it's really just, you know, having a comfortable space for them to be in. Mm, amazing. And, um, uh, you know, of course you've, you've built, uh, you've built, I believe you mentioned over 70 products, uh, across, you know, across multiple uh, industries as well. Um, you know, having that kind of experience and, you know, doing, I'm sure a fair portion of, of, of errors and, and, and mistakes along the way as well, um, and collecting them into a big learning experience. What do you believe are kind of a free core learnings that you've accumulated during that time? Sorry, I missed that last part of that sentence. Sorry, just, uh, sorry. <laughs> what do you believe are the, the three core learnings that you've accumulated during that time? Uh, oh, wow. Well. Um, you know, it really is a learning journey. <laughs> and I think if this question was posed to me a few years ago, it, it would have been considerably different than, than what it is today. Um, I think that the, your unwavering belief in yourself, um, no matter where you're sort of at in your career has to be something that, uh, that, that you always invest in and that you always have, in an uncompromised territory. And I believe that learning for me has come and gone over the years. Um, but 
it's a really important one, even if it is a bit hokey, because you're going to find yourself in a room of hopefully people that are smarter than you. And those can be intimidating moments and really making sure that you understand what you know, and you fall back on the things that you have done and you fall back on that confidence, that that becomes something that I think is, um, it's always surprised me in moments. Um, and I think I continue to learn a little bit more about myself every time I sort of reach in and pull out that belief, but it's, it's a really important one. Um, when it comes to organizations, uh, believing in people and empowering people continues to be the most important way to get shit done. It always has been, and I think it always will be. And so creating a culture where people feel empowered, where they understand that their voice matters, where they have leaders that are, you know, human and act human and demonstrate that humanity in different ways through their leadership. I think that is an incredible way to bring together a group of remote individuals, uh, even when they're in the same physical location, it's a uniting force. And I have learned particularly over the last two years, the strength and power that's there. And I would say, uh, the last thing for me is, um, I'm better when I'm having fun <laughs> and I think other people are too. And I think it's such a weird, uh, conversation to have sometimes, but you know, whether that's humor, whether that's, letting art and science meet when you're creating a roadmap or when you're thinking through a feature, mm -hmm. uh, whether you're encouraging your teams to consider problems through a very creative lens. I think we've gone and flipped the pendulum all the way over to the other side where, you know, data makes and controls a lot of our thinking and considerations. And while I agree, undoubtedly, there's a huge power there. I think that web three and this concept of creators is going to really help us get back to a spot that's a little bit more stably rooted in creativity and fun. And I, and I hope that that continues because that is a really big part of my job right now. And I think that our teams really embrace it. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, first of all, on a last point, um, it is very much the time, uh, the, the best time potentially for the creators and not the kind of an Instagram, you know, multi-million uh, follower creators um, type, but but really the individuals who um, who are using their talents to, you know, to improve the way that we live or create something that uh, could really be beneficial uh, and has a lot of sense behind it rather than just concentrating on a sale. And empowerment of those creators is undoubtedly um, is, is perhaps the biggest breakthrough since uh, Instagram. <laughs> so for the past, what is it, 14 years um, that we're going to have. Um, you, you mentioned also a very uh, interesting point on uh, the, the human aspect, right? So uh, of, of, of the leadership and, and generally of, you know, uh, being, being within the team. And that's, that's indeed one of the, well, when we're looking with with the teams to bring in the the additional individuals into their you know into their product or engineering teams, as an example, uh, oftentimes the parameter that we're looking at is humble. So being humble, um, and and literally that you know that means you know also being human. It encompasses the, the, the that particular meaning, 
Uh, and from the same side, you know, the uh, candidates are also looking uh, oftentimes at um, humble leaders, you know, very personable leadership. And that's oftentimes the parameter. However, that being said, within the technology, with a fierce competition, as you correctly mentioned from, you know, Facebook, Google, Amazon, uh, with all of the fan gang, mm. uh, it's really tough to, uh, to distinguish, uh, to, to win the talent over. Uh, who will also exhibit the same type of the qualities and who will not fall, you know, forward into the trap of, you know, receiving uh, 12, uh, you know, 12 uh, messages uh, from headhunters a day and still, you know, still staying humble because that takes a real strength of a character, in my opinion, mm -hmm. to, uh, to, to remain true to your qualities and to your values rather than, you know, on the, you know, in the second, just change them uh, and move forward. So it's, it's very tough to, to find the gems like that. Um, and oftentimes, you know, they might be uh, hanging out and, and working in different places, not necessarily in Shopify or Google. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough out there. And uh, just wanted to, you know, to, to bring this you know that it's, it's a, it's a shared parameter between individuals and, and companies that, that is, you know, that is being sought. Uh, and just perhaps again on the last point, um, you mentioned having fun on the job, and uh, that's that's really something that uh, I believe is is definitely very centric to first of all from from what it seems your culture, the culture of job. Um, I, I hope that fun is is across, you know, one of your core core. Uh, uh, kind of uh, keywords <laughs> when you're describing the culture or, or when you're describing a brand uh, or when you're doing the branding exercise. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, having a fun in the role is so important uh, to for learning, uh, for, you know, feeling in included into the team, right? Feeling that you want to come back to the same, to the same team and you want to work with them again and again, and you want to potentially follow the leader into a different company as well. Um, it's super centric and, and yet a lot of individuals, uh, a lot of leaders, unfortunately forget about that component or they don't keep it as a central component as it should be and concentrate just on KPIs process, you know, uh, deliverables, uh, essentially as such without having this fun component, which I think also increases the productivity. And I wonder if you've noticed the same within your team when you've, you know, when you've come to lead it, um, as a head of product, as a CPO, and what do you see right now? Essentially, do you see an increase in the performance, increase in satisfaction? I'm sure you measure all of these things, uh, in some shape or form. Would you be able to, um, to say a couple of words about that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a tough one to to measure, and you know, I, I hope my product team will eventually listen to this. They are a lot of fun. <laughs> they have fun with or without me, and I think that's the important part: is that whether I'm there or not, it should feel a lot like it's the same type of meeting or the same type of gathering. I don't want the air to change when I walk in a room. Um, I don't think that's me being an effective leader or me being connected enough to the team and especially a team like a product team where communication is the heart and soul of its effectiveness. And so I think, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a couple of women that have done a podcast about this and I, the name will escape me, but they're really talking about where and how to use humor professionally and make sure that 
It is uh, something that helps to deescalate, motivate, be an important part of connections. And I think that it's tough for leaders today. There are so many things to keep top of mind, but a little bit of self-deprecating humor really goes a long way. And it is just, you know, a very simple way to sort of dial up or down the energy in a room. And I think, you know, we've got to be really aware of what that Zoom call feels like when you're coming into it or where people are at or whether they're ready for a serious conversation or whether we need to just you know, talk a little bit about Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian for a while. And it is kind of being sh like certain of where that energy is sitting and then using, you know, just human reflexes to kind of control it. And so when I say fun, I use it in just like broad sweeping ways, you know, fun can just be us not talking about work. Um, and about us enjoying each other's company for a moment. It can also be about things like we just launched digital collectibles and one of our digital collectibles is a little pet and it's in an egg right now and it's going to hatch and when it comes out, he wiggles his bum. And to me, that's a lot of fun and the team had a lot of fun pulling that together and we hope that's fun for our users. And those are other ways that we sort of kind of incorporate that fun. So while there's um, almost tangible ways to measure it, there's much more intangible ways, I think, to measure it. And it, leaders are in a tough position these days there's so many things to worry about. Um, but I just think that, you know, if, if, if that humility, like you said, can kind of come into play a little bit, that it really does help reset and refocus that team in a powerful way. Is that a feature live, uh, actually, already? <laughs> it is. It's live. Um, it's still an egg. <laughs> So, okay. so no one knows what's inside of it okay. and you're getting a preview, which oh. it'll be out on Monday next week. So in, in, in quick time, the little pet, you'll be able to name the pet and then yeah. you'll be able to feed them. Think of it as like a little Tamagotchi oh. inside of your, um, your drop app, which is, which is cute. And it's just meant to be, I don't know, a little something for our users to engage with and have a little fun with. How did the how did this uh, idea come by? You know, um, I, I you know I, I don't uh, I don't know all of the features within the product, of course, but um, I expect that this is an added feature, right? That you've thought about to help the engagement, help the fun again to translate that kind of a funny feel uh, to the to the end user as well. How did the feature um, come to you know come to the table in the first place? Yeah, so we uh, we wanted to be able to take some of the Web3 concepts and democratize them for our user base. So our user base is largely women across the U.S. Um, who are moms um, and making like a lower to medium household income. And so the idea of crypto or the idea of NFTs is sort of not really in the realm of financial abilities because they're very focused on making sure ends meet inside their own households. So we wanted to leverage some of the those concepts and say, how could they be involved? How can we start to educate them, give them an opportunity to use their points and take part in crypto? So we've got Bitcoin and, Bitcoin and Ethereum on platform. And then we launched uh, two weeks ago, the idea of digital collectibles, which are not minted right now on the blockchain, but maybe they could be one day. And so this concept of digital collectibles was part of a product strategy that I released um, 
back in February and we've been building towards it this whole time. And so now that it's out, we're learning more about how our members are interacting with the digital collectibles. One of them is a, is a bit more loyalty based. So the more shopping, the more engagement you have in terms of offers on our platform, the more you can earn, but you buy into it first. And then we surprise and delight you along the way. And the idea is that we bring community into that a little bit more. And so how do we make sure that you're telling us what you want and that we're listening? And then we do those things in app. Um, and we did the same things with this pets collectible. We wanted it to be a game. We wanted them to have the opportunity to, I don't know, own something. And so maybe one day it is minted as an NFT. Maybe it isn't. But either way, it's a unique pet that is all their own. And it helps them, follows them, takes part in their shopping journey. Because why not have fun? And our members want to have fun. And if one day that turns into an NFT and that, you know, Midwest American housewife can turn around and say, I own an NFT, then that's actually kind of pretty cool too. And so it really isn't about us using those Web3 concepts to create hype, but more actually democratizing them to show that they're, they are basic concepts and they're not hard to kind of get into once we give you a little bit more baseline of what understanding and owning one means. Well, that is uh, a very interesting way to uh, to add the 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 kind of a value beyond functional value, right? Of of drop, uh, right? So that's 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 a very creative way. Kudos to your team for for coming up with uh, Wiggly Tales, and um, I do hope that it will you know it will scale incredibly well. I'm sure you will find a way to uh, you know optimally introduce that to the audience and then to scale from from there onwards given you know given the feedback and um again i think weekly tail would be would be the most favorite feature but perhaps there will be a lot more um oh well um amber uh, this had been an amazing conversation uh, i i thoroughly enjoyed meeting you uh, again so thank you so much for coming in today and i'm looking forward to speaking again sometime in the future Thank you so much for having me and all the great questions. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs>